If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Galatians again, chapter 5, we're going to we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage in that sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. We don't really look at it with intensity. Now, I understand that. I've already studied that. I've heard that before. But again, we want to make sure that this fruit is actually being exhibited in your life, and hopefully with depth. Now again, as you look at the passage, verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And as you see the word but, there's a contrast. Go up to verse 19, now the works of the flesh are. So the contrast between the works of the flesh is the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, or I'm going to refer to these a couple times today as weeds. You have the fruit, but you also have the weeds. Weeds can grow up very easy in a garden. I always find in this time of year I get excited. We're going to have a garden. Let's plant. You know, you rototill around my tomatoes. Boy, did they grow. Except that there wasn't many tomatoes that actually got ripe. Everything was just there. I mean, But the point was, then about a month later, you not only have the, what you planted, but you have all these weeds. And that's when the real fight comes to try to let the fruit overcome the weeds. And I think sometimes in our own lives we get saved. Oh, it's so joyous in the Lord, but then weeds creep in. And after a while, a lot of weeds creep in. And so there's these weeds in verse 19, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, uh, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. You ever have that in your life? Selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy. You ever envy? So there's a lot of weeds that can happen in our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is, again, fruit, not spiritual gifts. He's not talking about spiritual gifts. We each have a spiritual gift if you're a believer in Christ. That's unique, but the fruit should be in everyone's life. But notice, it's a fruit, not plural, it's singular. Fruit. The fruit. The idea is, God is talking about one fruit, and these are characteristics of that one fruit. Characteristic of love, characteristic of joy, peace. In other words, the Spirit's fruit is always produced completely in every believer. That's the point. No matter how faintly evidenced its various manifestations may be. In other words, like I had an apple last time. And if you take the apple, it's just one. It's singular. But there are shades to this apple. Red, yellow, green, brownish. There's different shades. Now this apple, particular apple, has about half red, and the other half is the other shades. In, in your life, it's like that. God is developing certain of these characteristics at any one moment, but if you're walking in the Spirit, you actually have all these exhibited, it's just that some of them are faint. But you take another apple and you say, well, man, look at that one. Now that's different because this one's got yellow and more of an orangish red. They're all there, it's just that some colors are are darker, some are fainter. Okay, so as we look at this, in fact, you can even take a third apple. Now, why do I say that? Because each one of us are in different growth patterns. And some of you are really being taught gentleness. Uh, Some of you, God really is trying to bring into your life both self-control and kindness. For some of you, it's love. By the way, love is kind of the over, uh, over um, the umbrella, overarching umbrella type thing, because you see these characteristics also in 1 Corinthians 13. But the point is, is sometimes we get frustrated with each other because my passion is not your passion as far as ministry, or my passion is not your passion as far as giftedness, or what God is teaching me is not what God is teaching you. And why can't you get it, John? I mean, this is the most important lesson I've ever learned. Well, that's what God is teaching you. Because he wants to bring that out in your life. He's bringing something else out in my life. See, for some of us, he's working on joy. To not depend on what's happening in the political scene to get your joy or peace. But other of you, you have a person in your life, or maybe a circumstance in your life, and he is teaching you patience with that person. And not just to blow or at least 
think hateful thoughts towards them every time you see them. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? Each one of you are like an apple. No, I guess not. But the point is, is the fruit, and he wants to darken all these different characteristics, bring them out in its richness. And so as we're looking at them, it's not like you can say, well, God's only concerned about my love. No, no. This is the fruit. And when you walk with God, and again, of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit, obviously. It's, it's produced by the Spirit of God. But what's interesting also is that each one of these nine characteristics, whether you look at love or joy or peace or kindness or faithfulness or self-control, are all, catch this, commanded of, of each believer to have. So, it's not only produced by the Spirit of God, it's commanded by us to have in our life. And, when, and we can't do it on our own, we have to depend on the Spirit of God. And that's why he brackets this whole passage. Look at verse 16, walk in the Spirit. Look at verse 25, let it, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's the bracket. I can't produce these on my own. See, sometimes we get saved. Thank you, Lord, that you saved me from my sin. I could not have saved myself. It was only because of your sacrifice on the cross that I can be saved. Thank you, Lord, for saving me from my sin and making me your child. Oh, and now I'm going to produce your fruit. And we try to get self-sufficient in producing love and joy and peace in our life. That's not what he's getting at. He's saying, listen, as you walk by the Spirit of God, if you're filled by His, um, by His Spirit, if, you're, if you are controlled by his word, then he will produce these fruit in you. And as I walk with him, they're all evident that very moment. It's just that some of them are darker and richer and more pronounced in my life than other, other characteristics. So it's either, either or. Uh, it's either I'm walking with the Spirit and they're ex- exhibited in my life. And that's why I can be very anxious one moment confess to God, Lord, I need you. I need to walk. I, I need to get my eyes off the of things of this world to give me peace. And that instant, I all of a sudden have peace because I'm walking in the Spirit. But along with that peace, I would have joy and love and self-control and gentleness and all this other. It's either or. You can't do it on your own. Uh, one of the programs I really like watching is Survivor Man. Any of you ever watched Survivor Man? But at the beginning of the program, he always, they always have like a disclaimer, you know, something that says, don't attempt this on your own. I, I would say that about these fruit. Don't attempt these on your own. That's the whole point. You've got to walk in the Spirit. You've got to be led by the Spirit. Don't try to attempt these on your own. You'll be frustrated. At best, what you'll do, which is at worst, you'll counterfeit them. You'll think you're real loving, except it'll be a manipulative type of love. You'll think you'll have peace and joy, but it'll be connected to your circumstance, okay? You'll think you'll have self-control, and yet he'll let you trip up because you'll say, see, you don't have self-control in that area. Don't attempt these on your own. These are something that we are commanded to do. Now, I know this sounds... We are commanded, but we are commanded to see these grow in our life as we are connected and walking with the Spirit and letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly and relying completely on His strength, okay? Obeying Him. Don't attempt this on your own. By the way, as people would look at your life, would they see these? You know, as I think of this one person, and I'm thinking of one of you, do I see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness? Yeah, and the particular person I'm thinking of, yes, I do. But ask that of yourself. Do people actually see this in your life? It's a great list. Or do they see you anxious and frustrated and irritated and, and overwhelmed many times and just more or less a depressed type person? You see this in your own life. By the way, this is a, a great sign, a pointer that says, hey, this one is a believer in me. Or this, this one is one who walks with me. Well, let's look at them. Number one is love, the first characteristic. Not a fruit, it's just part of the fruit. Characteristic. Again, love is the dominant one. We saw love again, verse 13. Love, but through love serve one another. Again, love is that selfless and enduring commitment of the will, that's volitional, to carry or to care about and benefit another person by thoughts, words, and actions. You could add righteous, truthful, compassionate thoughts, words, and actions. Basically this, love is selfless. 
It sounds sacrificial. And again, it's not natural. It's not from the flesh. It's from the spirit. It's self-giving. It's, again, a sacrifice. It's giving to someone who, you, who doesn't deserve it. That's why Jesus said, don't only love those who love you back, but love your neighbor and even love your enemy. That's where it becomes really super, or, uh, supernatural, not superficial. Because, again, that type of love that you love your enemy is, again, is not calculating. It's not selfish. Do you love? Are you really sacrificial? Do you actually count it a privilege to be able to, to help and to encourage and to give to someone else? Do you consider that a privilege or is that just a frustration, almost like a guilt? Or, ah, I got to do it, you know. Or is it really in your heart that says, you know what, I'd love to give. I want to give. It might be financial. It might be out of your time. It might be your giftedness. I love to give. I want to give. I want, Lord, I, or maybe you don't know where God wants to use you in your spiritual gift. Lord, show me because I want to use it. I want to, I want to bless your people. I want to bless people, but especially your people. That's love. Number two, joy. Joy. Joy is this. It always signifies a feeling of happiness, of blessedness that is based on spiritual reality. That's the, he, that's the key right there. It's based on spiritual reality. Or as one man said, it is a deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows that all is well between himself and his Lord. No matter how bad it is, I know it's okay between God and me. <laughs> Again, now this, this word joy, this uh, uh, characteristic, is spoken of as a gift... Jesus said in John 15, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. So it's a gift. It may remain in you. That's something that's given. But also over in Philippians, Paul says rejoice in the Lord. That's a command. So it's both a gift and a command. I want to show you. I, keep, I want to keep going back to this. It's something that God gives you. It's something that you're commanded to do. But I can only do it as God gives it to me. It basically drives me back, drives you back to walking in the Spirit. Now again, be careful in your life because joy can be counterfeited. If you start looking at your circumstance and your circumstances are great, and you just say, I have the joy of the Lord. It might not be the joy of the Lord, it might be the joy of your circumstance. I mean, let's face it, if you had seven kids and they were all healthy and one of them got married and had a child and now you're a grandfather and everything is going very well in your life, and financially you have enough, and you have a great job, and a great wife. Let me say that twice, a great wife. Why wouldn't you be joyful? Well, but then God gives you jolters. Look for the jolters, because that, that determines whether or not you're really joyful. I'm not saying not to be joyful for those other things. I am joyful for all that I just named. But it, when, it's, when the jolters come, that, then you start saying, okay, am I truly... Uh, finding my joy through God by walking with Him on spiritual realities or is it just something because everything happened to be going along well in my life at the moment? Okay? You see how you can... By the way, that's why jolters are so important. That's why the circumstance... When I read on the internet that the little baby Naomi is doing well but they've gone through a lot of hard times and yet they're able to praise the Lord, I say, Ethan... And Aaron are finding their joy not in circumstance, but in the Lord. You see it? So we have to make sure. And by the way, this is a constant test. Constantly going back, Lord. And I don't mean in a, in a, in a wrong analytical way. I'm saying going back and saying, Lord, is my joy truly found in you? In my relationship with you? In the fact that I was a sinner, condemned? that you died on the cross for me, that you brought me to life so I could receive you, and based on your relationship that I have with you, and I am forgiven, I am a child of yours, and I have eternity looking at me in heaven, and I don't have to suffer for my sins in hell, and under the wrath of God, based on that, I am joyful. That's what it should be. Not because the uh, Republicans are winning. I say that because sometimes I become a political junkie. Be careful. And I, by the way, as I've been growing, Lord, I'm more and more moving away from that. It's not that I'm ignorant to all that stuff, but man, my joy has to be, your joy has to be in the Lord. How about this? Peace. The word is actually Aaron A. That's the word peace. 
By the way, peace is both a gift and commanded. Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Peace I leave with you. In other words, it's my gift to you. I'm giving you peace. But then it also says in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. In other words, he's commanding them not to have anxiety, which means have peace. He's commanding them to have peace. Again, what is peace? Peace is tranquility, rest, quiet, harmony in the soul. It's the opposite of war. It's the opposite of war. Tranquility of mind. Why? That comes from a saving relationship with God. Again, it all is going back. Do you see how it all keeps going back to the gospel? It's that peace that Horatio Spafford had. You know the story I'm referring to? He uh, sent his wife and children from America over to England. And on the way, there was a storm in the ship, I mean, on the sea, and the ship went down. And when Mrs. Pafford finally made it to England, this is what she wrote back to her husband. All our daughters have been lost at sea. Only I have been saved. So in the next ship that's going over, he gets on. And as they passed by the one area around the same area where the ship went down, the, the captain told um, Mr. Spafford, you know, this is where your daughters died. And that's when he wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's peace. By the way, he didn't always have peace. I want you to understand. I read some of the rest of the story. He, he struggled with that peace. It was like this for him, if I understand the story right. At times he got very depressed. It's a battle. Peace doesn't just come one moment and then it's done. Oh, I've got God's peace. Now I'm good. No, no. It's a constant battle to keep your eyes focused on him, on spiritual realities. Constant battle. Now, if you go here again, we're looking at love, joy, peace. Now, let's look at some of the weeds, some of the opposites of peace. Well, obviously, anxiety. I liked how one man put it. This is how he defined anxiety. You have anxiety? You ever have anxiety? Probably we all deal with it at some time, some of us more than others. But he said this. This is what anxiety is. It's the preoccupation with things of lesser importance in the false confidence that if they are all well cared for, life will move smoothly along. I like that. See, you get your eyes focused on things of lesser importance, and you have this false confidence that if they're all well cared for, life will just move smoothly along. And that anxiety, that weed in your life can be focused on a relationship. It can be focused on finances. It might be security and finances. It might be the economy. But it's a weed. And somehow, it because it's a lie, it says, listen, take care of me. If you take care of me, everything will be fine. When the bigger picture is this, that this life is passing and that the most important need in your life is Christ. And if you're hooked to him through salvation, and if you're forgiven, then the spiritual reality is God is your Father and heaven is your home. But we can get hooked on these weeds. And just like when I plant my garden, I'm going to have to go out there and start pulling weeds. Because if I don't keep pulling these weeds, you know what happens? They're going to overwhelm my, my peppers and tomato plants. And my garden will never look like John Steffler's. Although now John puts his tomatoes in buckets and hangs them upside down. Who would have ever thought? But do you see the idea? That's a weed. Sometimes we get all nervous about serving. Think of Martha who was busy serving and complaining that Mary wasn't helping her. But listen, Mary was doing the better thing, the more important thing, listening to Christ. Some of us are like that. We're busy, busy, even in Christian stuff, but we haven't spent time with God. We haven't prayed. And yet God would say, you know, cast your care on me. But that means you have to stop to pray. Hey, look at a few other weeds. Actually, these are found in verse 19, since you're in Galatians 5. These are not personal weeds. These are more weeds that have to do with how we treat others. Uh, Look at the second part of verse 20. 
Hatred. Third word in, hatred. That's how you deal with others. Look at the next one, contentions. Contentions. The, the word is eris. It, it, it's actually the, the word that was used of a Greek, the Greek goddess of war. Okay, so when he says contentions, he's saying warring. In other words, it's the type of person, it's the weed that delights in causing trouble. Like, likes to cause trouble. Do you remember over in Proverbs 6 where it says, Six things the Lord hates, seven, yea, seven are abomination to him. The seventh one is really kind of a wrap-up. It's kind of like the, the, the mega one, okay? It's the one that produce, is produced by all the other six. The proud look, the... the uh, oh, I just lost it. Oh, let's go over there. I can't lose it. I had it right there and now it's lost. Hope, hope this is not of things to come. Um, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Now, you just put all these cumulative effects. A heart that devises wicked plans. Yeah, you're not even there yet, and I've already read it through. Ah, let's go back to Galatians. No, go to Proverbs 5. Um, <laughs> 16, 6 verse 17. Proverbs 6 verse 17. A proud look. Again, these are six things Lord hates, seven are abomination. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. Okay. But the last one is like the, the big one, if, it, if you would. It's, it's, it's the uh, cumulative effect. It's what happens. And the one who sows discord among brethren. Now, you can go back to Galatians now. I just wanted you to see that. One who sows discord. That's a, a contentious person. That's a person that likes to war. Spreads discord. Or as Kyle and Dalich, those German authors said, that word discord is the, is the chief of all that God hates. It's he who takes a fiendish, quote, delight in setting at variance men who stand near, nearly related. In other words, those who are close. So those who are close, there's like a, a fiendish desire to want to separate. You know some people like that, contentious. Unfortunately, sometimes Christians are contentious. That's a weed. That's a weed that grows up and that disturbs the peace. That's why I'm saying peace, love, joy, peace. Sometimes that peace is not peace that we have between us and God. Sometimes it's, it's us and others. Well, let's continue on in Galatians 5.20. Jealousies, that destroys the peace. Jealousy is when I feel frustrated when you have something I don't or I want what you have. I'm starting to realize that jealousy and envy is quite prevalent among Christians. An outburst of wrath. Are you married to somebody who has a tendency to outbursts of wrath? I hope you're not. And selfish ambition. Selfish just being, it's all about me. I just want, want, want. And dissensions. Do you see how all those work against peace? But again, those are not related between you and God. It's you and others. And we're going to see, we're going to go back to this in a moment. Sometimes they're found right in the church. Peace destroyers, not peacemakers. If you think of Diotrephes over in 3 John 9, you don't have to turn there. But this is what it says of this man. And he was a teacher. In the church, think of, think of him like me, you know, teaching. And this is what John says of Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence. Hopefully I don't like the preeminence. But this is what he says of him. Therefore, if I come, John says, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds. I'm going to point him out, which he does, prating against us, which means accusing us with malicious words. So here's a teacher in the church who was using malicious words. Talk about contentious. Talk about not having peace. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren. In other words, he breaks fellowship with the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. He excommunicates people. In other words, he's a controller. He has to have it his way. Malicious words, breaks fellowship, excommunicates those in the church. That's a lot of weeds. And a lot of those weeds you can see right in the works of the flesh in, in verse 20. And the last one that you have, last weed, is, and this is a, uh, a counterfeit, this is peace 
without God. This is talking about an unbeliever. Like in Thessalonians where it says, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. This is the idea of thinking that God will receive me without righteousness. That I'm accepted before Him without going down His path of justification through His Son. You know there's a whole lot of people in this world that think that this way God will understand when it all is said and done. That you know what, my good works and my bad works will be weighed and my good works are better, God will understand. I don't have to receive His Son, God will understand. They say peace and safety, everything's going along. That's peace without God. Well, let's look at the different aspects of peace and they're found in your outline. First of all, you have peace with God. This is individual peace. This is where peace starts, by the way. This is salvation. Peace with God. Like in Romans 5, 9, it says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. We are going to be saved from the wrath that's coming. That wrath there is talking about the wrath of God when He punishes every individual who has never received His Son. Now again, there's going to be the wrath of God on this earth, but ultimately the the quintessential wrath is the wrath that the person has to endure before God. Verse 10 in Romans 5, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God, look at enemies, we were enemies and we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Man, when I was an enemy, God brought me to Himself. But the, the key passage, I think I left this in your outline, is, in, is actually the first verse of Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that because the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah is called the Prince of Peace. We have peace with Him. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. So again, you can have a false sense of peace. Everything is okay between God and I, and yet you have never received His Son. That's a false. The Bible is very clear that each of us are sinners. Each of us are condemned before a holy God. And He gave His Son as a sacrifice for us. And the question for you is this. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because if you haven't, and you have a sense of peace, like everything's really okay, that's a false peace. Peace and safety, and sudden destruction comes. But if you have put your faith and trust in Him, He has forgiven you through the death of His Son, the sacrifice of His Son, and you're one of His. So have you ever received Christ? That's the first aspect of peace. You cannot have the fruit of the Spirit, peace, unless, first of all, you're at peace with God because we're in an enemy. What is an enemy? Think about an enemy. An enemy wants to destroy At one time in our lives, before we came to Christ, that's how God looked at us. We wanted to destroy everything about Him. We we wanted nothing to do with Him. We wanted our own righteousness, our own self-righteousness, running away from God, and yet God rescued us. That's the first. That's what gets you that initial peace, peace with God. But then you have experiential peace. I put in your outline, peace of God, Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, because we already have peace with God, now we have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. That, that guarding is a, like a sentry, a sentry, you know, like at a prison. It, it will guard your heart like a soldier. Just notice, though, it says, requests be made known to God. And the idea is this, that's communion. In other words, I have to realize that God is not impersonal. He is personal. Do, do you run to God when you have those issues in your life, or do you try to solve them on yourself, by yourself? So, how do I get this experiential peace? Prayer? By the way, prayer and supplication are probably different. Prayer is general, more like a mindset. Supplication is specific. Requests are specific. In other words, prayer, (coughs) thanksgiving. But also, Isaiah says this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's how I get peace. 
My mind is stayed on him. And that's why, like for Horatio Spafford, it was, I'm sure it was very difficult because his mind would be on the Lord and then all of a sudden he'd remember all that happened to his children and they died. And it was a, this battle, this battle. My mind has to stay on the Lord. It just can't momentarily. Now, if you have the peace with God and you have the peace of God, let's look at the third one. It's the peace with others. It's a communal peace. <laughs> communal. That's us. See, if you have the peace with God and the peace of God, then we should, that's the third step. Now, we should be able to get along. Peace. I don't usually uh, quote rock stars, singers in rock bands, but Bono, the U2 lead singer, did say something that was pretty profound. He said this. I mean, not real profound because you find it in other, but just the idea that he said it. He said, the hardest thing to do is stick together. Mates, family, marriage, business, bands. Oh, I had churches. It's like resisting gravity. The alternative is too predictable. You rid the room of the argument. Now, this is what he said. You empty your life of the people you need the most. That's what I liked about what he said. You empty your life of the people you need the most. Many times people are like that. Well, Lord, I need you. I've received you. I have forgiveness. I have the peace of God. I don't need the rest of these people. I just need you. God says, no, that's not how I designed it. You need each other. But conflict comes. It's hard to avoid conflict, isn't it? I've been thinking a lot about our church over the last 25 years that I've been here. In conflict, I brought this up periodically because I think this has been one of the areas that I've seen that Satan can do the worst damage and God can yet use is when we have conflict. You know, Romans 12, 18 says this, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If it's possible, live peaceably with all men. But let me say this, it's not always possible. And again, I threw this in your outline, and this, is not, this part is not original to me. It's, it's actually from a guy named Jim New, Newhalzer, I think his name is. But these are four thoughts that he had that I thought were pretty interesting. These are obvious. All conflict is the result of sin. That makes sense, right? Starts in the Garden of Eden. All conflict is, is a result. Just like I said, Romans 5, we are enemies. That's where it started. Adam and Eve didn't do what God said. Enemies passed on. All conflict is a result of sin. But the second point, peace is sometimes out of your reach. By the way, in, in, when we try to have peace, let's say communal peace, peace within our church, we have to make sure that we never seek to have peace at the expense of truth and righteousness. Like in Romans 16, Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. Paul says, listen, sometimes you can't have peace with another person because they can't come to terms with truth. And if you're going to sacrifice truth, you have to say, listen, I can't be at peace with you. Not only that, but there are some people with whom it is impossible to make peace with. I think in Corinthians 7 where it talks about a spouse. If the unbeliever spouse departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases because God has called us to peace. There are certain times that you cannot have peace with other people. That's, that's been a balm to my soul at times. When I try to have peace and I find you just can't. And in your own life, you might have a person like that and you say, you know, I've tried and tried and tried and they do not want to come to the table. They do not want it resolved. And just understand this. Conflict is caused by sin, and sometimes you can't have peace with certain people. And that is okay. You do everything you can in humility, but that might be the case. Finally, God does not hold you responsible for the sinful failures of others. Isn't that great? And He doesn't hold you responsible. Just, we're sinners. Now again, conflict is very dangerous. Why? Because a conflict with another person, sometimes, this is what the point is, it sometimes nudges us and gently pushes us to do things that are wrong on our part. Sometimes it pushes us to fight. 
to get revenge, verbal attacks, gossip, slander, assaults, because those hurts, I want to express them. And, and though I maybe received the first hurt in a godly way, I try to solve it in an ungodly way. Or I deny it. In fact, this guy even put down sometimes escape and suicide. A lot of ways that people try to deal to have peace, and if they can't get it, there are ungodly ways that they seek to accomplish it. But this is the fourth point is the most important. Conflict brings, now underlying this, opportunity. Now think about this. There's a conflict. Think about God's purpose in the church. Again, he brings a bunch of sinners together. And if you're really a member of this church, you should be a, a person who is a believer in Jesus Christ. But, but, the, but the point is this. He brings a bunch of sinners together. Imperfect people. And whereas your strengths should help you grow, hopefully I have a strength in teaching. Hopefully my gift in teaching helps you to grow. Okay, that's a strength. And my strength helps you to grow. Hopefully that's true. Just like uh, Lee Ryan's, just like any of the elders, just like the deacons, just like any person here, your strengths help each other grow. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but this is one sometimes we forget. But it's also our weaknesses that help each other to grow. See, obviously our strength. And when I'm humble and gentle and kind, and you say, oh, he's just a great pastor. I just love the guy. But how about when it's a weakness of me or someone else? You see how the weakness can help you to grow? Romans 8 is true. All things work together for good. So God puts a, 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 a group of people together who have strengths, now catch this, and weaknesses. And he says, now I want you to function as a body. I want you to function together. Well, yeah, well, yeah, but no, I want the perfect church. Well, no, if you find the perfect church, don't go there. Not only because you'll contaminate it, but not only that, if you found a perfect church, which there isn't, but if there was, it wouldn't help you grow as much. Why? Because you need the imperfections. You need the sandpaper in your life. You need to deal with people that are at times irritated with you and irritated in their way and maybe a little strong and maybe a little... A boisterous. Do you get the point? It's not just the strengths that grow, grow us, it's the weaknesses that grow us as well. So as we look at conflict, we're looking at peace. And peace is sometimes interrupted. I'm not talking between God and I, I'm talking between each other. And there's conflict because of sin. But that's all part of the divine program. And God puts us together. And again, we need to confront sin. I'm not saying we don't. And we're going to look at that actually in, in Galatians 6.1. We're really going to deal with that. But the idea is this conflict is there and it's not just the strength but the weaknesses that help us in our Christian growth. It's the weaknesses of others as I approach it, as I deal with other people that can help me grow. And I'll tell you, when I found that out, conflict brings opportunity to glorify God, to be more like Christ, to serve others. Why? To encourage, to help to have patience, and to be a witness to the world. I think the world sometimes is real sad when they hear of church splits and people that leave. And people who leave and then, like, you know, blast the church that they just laugh. It's like, well, I thought you guys were a family. So again, if you have a conflict in your life at this moment, especially with another person, see it as an opportunity. See it as an opportunity for you to grow, to be more like Christ, to glorify God, Okay? That's peace. And then finally, long-suffering. And you say, finally, you only have about a minute left. Well, maybe take a few more. I have to get to this last one. See, because last time I did love, joy, and I really ran through peace, didn't even look at it hardly. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Because long-suffering plays so, so closely along with this peace with others. Long-suffering means, or patience your, your version of mine, is macrothumos. Macro, big. Thumos means passion, heat. It actually can refer to uh, anger. The idea is this. Long, lasting, passion, heat. Long, passion. Okay, long-spirited. You don't lose heart. And he's primarily looking at people. In other words, when he's saying the fruit of the Spirit is patience, long-suffering, he's saying... The Spirit of God wants to produce in our lives a patience, a long-suffering, a long-temperedness, 
not losing heart with other people. There's a specific other word that's literally talking about uh, circumstances. It's, it's hupomon. Hupomon talks about circumstances. This word, macrothumas, talks about people. It's not me losing heart when it comes to circumstances. It's me losing heart when it comes to people. He's saying, listen, the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. You're able to deal with people in a long way, okay? You're passionate about people. You don't give up on people. In other words, it has to do with the tolerance and long-suffering that endure injuries inflicted by others, the calm willingness to accept situations that are irritating or painful caused by others. Do you have anybody in your life that is irritating to you? Causes pain? Causes frustration? What God wants to do, it might be, by the way, a Christian. It might be an unbeliever. God is putting that person as an opportunity. Remember, an opportunity. Conflict is an opportunity for something. And there's this opportunity for you to be long-suffering. Lord, I can't do it. It's been years. It's been frustrating. Lord wants to, through His supernatural power, give you the ability to love, experience peace in that situation, to be long-suffering. It's usually used in the context, again, of being wronged by another person, not a, not a circumstance. Barclay, the old uh, English scholar, said, This is the spirit which never loses its patience with its fellow men. Their foolishness and their unteachability never drive it to cynicism, or despair. You ever, been, you ever get cynical about certain people? Yeah, they'll never change. Every time they walk in their room, I know what they're thinking. And I'm irritated by it. In fact, if I could, I'd slap them. But if I slapped them, I'd end up in jail, and then it'd be their laugh, you know. No, no. This person never does not get cynical. Their insults and their ill treatment never drive it to bitterness or wrath. You see what this scholar is saying? This word is saying, listen, they can irritate you and upset you, but you do not get cynical, you do not get bitter, you do not get despaired, you do not even get sinfully wrathful against them. And you may say, well, I have that. Well, this is an opportunity to glorify God. By the way, the Greeks never liked this word. You, you find it very rare. Because to Greek, that wasn't a virtue. The virtue was revenge. That's to a Greek unsaved mind it's not about being patient it's about killing the guy you know revenge but again are you patient and is your patient based on circumstance and people that you like around you those are also circumstance or is it because God is actually working in your life that you could say well you know if it wasn't for the Lord in my life I would not be patient right there now again you might ask why why be patient well again because the Lord is patient with us Romans 2 4 is just the, the key, one of the key verses on this. Do you, th- or do you think lightly do you, of the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Do you think lightly of his patience towards you? In other words, do you not make much of how patient he has been towards you? By the way, if you think lightly of God's patience towards you, you're going to treat other people with very little patience. Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. So God has been patient with us. Not only has God been patient with us, but other people have been patient with us. How many times have you had to go and confess your sin to someone else and they forgave? Patience and forgiveness are like kindred spirit. So as God has been patient with me and as um, other people have been patient with me and as God is working in my life, he wants to develop patience. And he brings opportunity because periodically I'm in conflict. And when the conflict comes, I can fall on that slippery slope of getting bitter and angry and slanderous and trying to destroy the person or just retreating and just being bitter in my own spirit. Or I could say, Lord, I want to work this out. Lord, I need your help. I need to walk with you. And I can see this as an opportunity to glorify you and to resolve this conflict. And even if it's not resolved, I can still have the peace of God in my life because you're in control. So again, when should I be patient? Or actually, with whom? Well, with others. That's really where the key, key thought is. And I would say this, with their weaknesses and with their sins even. Be patient with their weaknesses. And even sometimes their sins. Peter says this, And above all, 
things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now again, you may say, you mean you're supposed to just cover up other people's sins and move on with life? Well, Galatians 6 verse 1 says, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one. We're going to get to that. But the point is this. A lot of times, as we go through the Christian life, people step on your spiritual toes. You know, you're going through and happy, happy, happy. And, and I, I've had this experience. I've both been on the giver, giving end and the receiving end. I'm here at church, and I say something to someone, maybe innocently, and they took it as, like, oh, I can't believe he didn't care. He didn't remember that I was going through a hard time. He never even asked me about it. In other words, they might even look at that as a sin. He must be insensitive. He must not be caring. By the way, I've been on the receiving end too. I thought, you know, when I, I shared something with someone and I figured they'd be asking me about it and they never did. Point is this. You might look at it as a sin. What does love do? Love covers. You may say, well, it's not really a sin. Well, sometimes it is a sin. Sometimes you literally get stomped on by spiritual, your spiritual toes. And the question is, do you have enough love for the body of Christ I know that she must be really having a very, very difficult time. That's why she said it in such a sharp way. I'm not going to go confront her. I'm just going to pray for her, right? In other words, there's a lot of things. When sinful lives get rubbing up against each other, a lot of times there's friction. It's, it's, it's not even intended. But God said, listen, function well with each other. And the way you do that is love covers. So we have to... We have to be careful that we, as Ephesians 4 says, because this is a worthy walk, that you endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Got to keep that unity. I like how R.C. Sproul put this whole idea of, of growing. We need each other. I need your strengths. I need your weaknesses in one sense. You know, if you, say, if you understand what I'm saying. We need each other. Again, this idea that somehow we can become individual Christians on our own, uh, fully mature on our own is impossible. As one man said this, the Christian life is, is, is inescapably corporate. The Christian life is corporate. Christian life is corporate. Christian life is not individual. Teaching on Christian holiness has frequently concentrated almost exclusively on the holy man. But he goes on and says, he says, the idea of the omnicompetent Christian individual, omnicompetent, I can do it all myself, I don't need to, is impossible. It's impossible. Able to meet every spiritual challenge and live a life of unbroken victory over sin and the devil has undoubtedly produced remarkable examples of Christian character, but as every Christian counselor knows, this emphasis has driven many to a lonely struggle ending in despair and disillusionment. Or worse, in the hypocrisy of a double standard life. you got to have each other. In fact, one guy said, goes on and says, to think otherwise is just plain stupid or foolish. I'll use the word stupid. We need each other. Oh, I can skip church for four weeks in a row. It's not a matter. I have devotions at home. No, no. You need to have the, the friction that we can provide. See, you've got to be patient with each other's their sins, their weaknesses, their strengths. Sometimes it's, again, sounds innocent. I'll close with here with this illustration. A young man desired to go to India as a missionary with the London Missionary Society. This was years ago. Mr. Wilkes was appointed to consider the man, young man's fitness for such a post. He wrote to the young man and told him to call on him at 6 a.m. the next morning. Although the applicant lived many miles off, he was at the house punctually at 6 a.m. and was ushered into the drawing room. So here's a young man, 6 o'clock in the morning, had traveled probably for an hour, hour and a half to get there, and he waited. And he waited. And he waited. Hour, two, three hours. Wondering, but patient. Finally, Mr. Wilkes entered the room around 9 a.m. Been there three hours. Without apology, Mr. Wilkes began, Well, young man, so you want to be a missionary? Yes, yes, sir, I do. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, sir, I certainly do. And have you any education? A little. Well, now, let me test you on that. Can you spell cat? 
The young man looked confused and hardly knew how to answer. You know, what a preposterous question. His mind evidently halted between indignation and submission, but in a moment of reply, steadily said, C-A-T, cat. Very good, said Mr. Wilkes. Now can you spell dog? The youthful man was stunned and replied, D-O-G, dog. Well, that's great. You can spell. How about your math? Can you tell me what two times two is? The patient youth gave the right reply and then was immediately dismissed. Mr. Wilkes gave his report at the committee meeting. He said, I cordially recommend the young man. His testimony and character I have duly examined. I tested his self-denial. He was up in, in the morning early. I tested his patience by keeping him waiting. I tested his humility and temper by insulting his intelligence. He will do just fine. <laughs> you know how that plays in our life? He wants to develop fruit, the fruit. And sometimes he puts us in situations that he tests our self-denial. He tests our patience. He tests us with frustrations. Just little things. Things that some people would blow at. But the thing is, the question is, if it's really in the heart, that's okay. Because really, as a Christian, we have no rights. Really, in the truest sense. If he's our Lord and we are his slave, then we have no rights. And so he tests us. Just like Mr. Wilkes tested that young man. Now, he could have stomped off saying, well, that was a waste of time. I got there, waited three hours, you asked me three stupid questions, and I left. But you know what? He was a humble man. His time wasn't important. If that's what he wanted, if that's what Mr. Wilkes wanted, that's what I gave him. And with us, see, you might have people in your life that are very irritating to you. Why are they there? Why do they keep asking the same stupid questions? Why do I have to keep putting up with them? Well, because God, it's not just about them. It's about us. He wants to develop the fruit. So again, I hope that we, 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 uh, we approach that with a humble heart. Lord, whatever you're doing in our lives, I'm okay with that because I have no rights. Let's stand as we worship him.